Good morning, good morning. You have a lot of chatty Cathy's in here this morning. As Jonathan said, my name is Cindy. Um, I'm on staff here. I love this church. Um, if I have not had a chance to get to meet you yet, I'm hoping to do so soon. And for those of you who are with us for the first time, uh, let me just say that you are all welcomed here and all of who you are is welcomed here, and we mean that. Um, what you are gonna find here is that we are real people. If you were expecting perfect, not gonna happen here. Um, sometimes we're a little messy on the journey, but we are on a journey together. And in that journey, we are discovering more and more truths about who God is and what he's doing, um, not only in our individual lives, but for, as us together, and also what he's um, doing out in our community and beyond, and we're joining him on that journey. And that's, who, that's really who we are. Um, we are in the middle of a summer series called Table Manners for Flawed People. Remember I said we were not perfect here. Any other flawed people walk in this morning? I see those hands. Um, we're in the middle of studying nine different characters who are located without scripture. And these nine roughly line up with the Enneagram, which is a tool that allows you to discover more about who you are and more about who other people are and how you can relate within all of that. And so we've been discovering more and more about these nine that we've been talking about. Each one of these nine have had hopes and dreams along their way, um, along with their daily struggles, and we're getting a chance to look at their stories to see what motivated them, the lessons that they learned along the way, and we're getting a chance to identify with them. Um, so we've invited them all to our table. Now, one thing I love, I love a lot of things about this church, but one thing I love the most is the importance, how we recognize the importance of the table. It's a place where relationships can be formed, um, community, community can take place, and we get a chance to grow deeper within ourselves and with each other around the table. Jesus himself uses the table um, to describe his kingdom, and also he uses the metaphor of the table. There will be a day, I know this is going to be really exciting, um, when we get to sit down in the presence of the one, at a table with him where all the nations and color and all kinds of people will be gathered around that table and will be in the presence of the one who created us. Now being an artist, I believe personally that the table decor will be fabulous and um, that the food will be limitless and have no calories. Can I get an amen? Okay, there we go. Actually, my 11-year-old friend Natalie um, often tells me when we talk about heaven that there will be also an endless supply of hot dogs and steak. So for those of you that like those two things, you are in big, big luck at that point. I believe around this table that it will be a time that we will worship like we've never worshipped before, where the pain and the stress and the anxiety and the fears and the tears and everything that we deal with on this earth will be no more. That'll be a day. But until that day, we are here, right? And we're trying to navigate our journeys with people who sit at our various tables throughout the weeks. I had an aha here a while back of, we talked so much about this table and I realized the table that we come and gather around on Sunday morning is not the only table that we sit at throughout the week. We're at coffee tables and boardroom tables and medical tables and, and art tables for some of us and it's, sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. But they are, we are at tables all week long. 
And when we sit down, I'm very aware that when I come in and I sit down at a table that I am bringing my strengths and my weaknesses, my doubts, my fears, my insecurities, my passions, my successes, my failures, my political beliefs, my griefs, my joys, my sins, all of that comes in with me when I sit down at a table. Now, I don't share all of that with you, hopefully, <laughs> and you don't share all of your stuff that you bring in with me, but we sit down. Now, I don't know about you, but I think when you get a bunch of people around the table, it could get a little messy when we're bringing all of our stuff in together. Um, anybody having any flashbacks to family holiday get-togethers in this moment, right? So maybe, just maybe, this morning we need a little reminder, a little more training on the idea of table manners, of how do we act, how do we em embrace each other, and how do we act, and Jesus says it perfectly in John 13. He says, I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He is saying to love them. Each one that sits down at a table with me that might be just a little bit different. He didn't say get along. He didn't say agree with each other or convince them or convict them. He said we're to love them. So that's why we've seated our nine at this table. And as we've experienced these past several weeks, if one looks long enough and hard enough at other stories, you can find pieces of yourself in those stories. And from there we can learn and our spiritual transformation can continue. So with that, having said all of that about the table, this morning we're inviting another guest this morning and I've been excited to introduce her to you all and I'm sure there might be a few of you in this um, congregation this morning, but this morning we're gonna invite Miss Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Anybody identify with Martha? I see a few <laughs> people are like, Sort of, right? I also picked just the right chair for Miss Martha because it spins. Because we all know that if we had a table full of Marthas, can you imagine what that would look like? Nobody would be at the table, right? Because everybody would be in the kitchen trying to outserve each other, um, and it would just be confusion and chaos, maybe mixed in with a little bit of craziness. So we have Martha this morning. Um, she is a name that is so recognized, often in the context of with her sister Mary, and yet it's a name that no one really wants to be associated with, which is why some of you just went like, hi, I'm a Martha, right? Um, Martha, because why? Why do we do that? Because we know the story. It's a familiar story. It's only five verses in the Bible, and from that we're like, Martha's in trouble, because here's what happens, right? <laughs> Martha, Jesus is coming to Martha's house. Martha's in the kitchen. She's busy. Where's Mary? She's sitting in with Jesus in the other room. Martha's a little upset. She's a little stressed out. I don't blame her. Who wouldn't be a little upset and stressed out if the Messiah was coming to your house to begin with, right? And what does she do? She gets upset. She's distracted. She's busy. And she wants Jesus to bless her plans. She said, Jesus, if you'll just, would you please tell my sister to get up and come in here and help me? And what does Jesus say? Nope. Mary has chosen the better thing after he said her name, after he said Martha's name twice. So we know she's in trouble. So who wants to be associated with a Martha when they know that they've been, she's been called out by Jesus, right? And Mary's the good sister. 
So why would any of us want to be a Martha? And yet we're created. Some of us in this room are wired and created that way. So that could be the end of the story, or is it? This morning, uh, I want to share with you some of the insights that I gained personally when I started studying these five scriptures in a new way. So Luke 10, 1, if you'll turn there with me this morning, we're going to start there. It just gives us context for what Jesus, where he's at, what he's doing. So he's been traveling um, with his disciples. He has pre-designated some villages that he's going to go visit. So he has sent out some of his disciples two by two which I think is an interesting number. Anybody recognize a two by two? So he's telling them to go and prepare. I'm about to come in and I'm about to share truths um, with these people. So you go ahead of me. So we don't know how many of the villages that Jesus has actually um, gone to by the time he gets to Martha's, but I would dare guess that there was a lot of um, walking involved, which would mean a lot of dirt and tiredness, and so by the time he's arrived at Martha's, I'm pretty sure a warm meal and a bed would be completely welcomed. So if you skip down to verse 38, this is where we really pick up the story. And we learn a couple of things right away about Martha. And it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, into her house. What we learn right away is that Martha is both hostess, but she's also a homeowner, which I have overlooked every time I've read these scriptures. Um, It says that she welcomed Jesus into her home. And when I did some research on that, it talks about uh, Martha being in charge. She was responsible for her house. And actually, the name Martha is the feminine form of an Aramaic word meaning Lord or Master. So she's the homeowner. She owns the mortgage, right? We don't know if the wealth came from her parents, if it was handed down. It also talks later about, scholars talk about how large her house would have been because she was able to handle Jesus and all of his entourage. If you look at verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And we go on to read, But Martha was distracted. Now I want to pause there because a couple of things that's so easy to overlook in this story And I think it's regarding relationship and also duty. In John, we read that there was an established relationship between Jesus and Martha and Mary and their brother. It says he loved them. We know that Jesus loves Martha. We know Martha loves Jesus. And she's welcomed him into her home. And by being hospitable and serving a meal in that culture, in that time period, was almost a sacred duty. It's not something that um, was rare. It was just this, this moment, this thing that you just did, right? You're going to welcome someone into your home. So what Martha's doing is a good thing. She's doing what's expected in that time. She's doing the normal thing. Who wouldn't be making sure that the rooms are cleaned and the beds, the sheets have been changed on the bed and the candles are lit and the kitchen has got all this great food with all these flavorful aromas that you're smelling? But here's the thing, we sense the tension when the word distracted gets used. She's distracted. So why is she distracted? I believe she's in um, the kitchen and she's busy and Jesus is in the other room and she's hearing him with his truth and his teachings and she knows Mary is sitting in there getting all of that truth. 
And I think there's an internal struggle of, I've got all of this to do, this is my checklist, it's what's expected of me, and then I have to be able, but I want to be able to go and sit and listen to this, this Messiah, this one that I love, this one I want to learn from. And I think that's where it comes from. It talks about her being distracted or being cumbered. Other translations actually read she was worried and upset or anxious and troubled with much serving, her busyness, because there was so much to be done. Now, if we were to ask Martha to take the Enneagram test, I believe she would identify as a two. Let me read you just a little, about, a little bit about who twos can be. They are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted, friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but they can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. They are well-meaning and driven to be close to others, but also can slip into doing things for others in order to be needed. They often struggle with acknowledging their own needs. Now, at the healthiest, when a two is really, when, when they really have looked at who they are and they're learning more and more about um, what, how they're wired, at their healthiest, they can be generous, giving, encouraging, and appreciative, able to see the good in others. Serving is important, but they've also learned to take care of their self, too. They embrace that they are loved for who they are, not the busyness. When a two walks into a room, they will look around and quickly start thinking, what needs to be done here? Quickly assessing the situation. How am I needed and how can I care for others? When they are unhealthy, they can be intrusive, needing to be needed, so they hover and meddle and control. They sometimes cannot do enough for others to the extent of actually being burned out. Pride can also cause them to resist being served by others. They'll say, I'm fine, when everything inside is spinning out of control. Because sometimes the two will say, believe if I serve people, they will like me. If they like me, then I have value. If I have value, that means I'm needed. And if I'm needed, then that must mean that I'm loved. So after looking at the desires and the motivations of a two, or a Martha in our case, let's go back to the scripture and pick it up in verse 40. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha, again, is focused on the busyness. How many people she's got to actually prepare food for. And I said before, when you know the Messiah's coming, I'm thinking that that would add a little bit of extra stress. Can you imagine her in the kitchen and she's whipping up the potatoes so hard that they're now liquid, but she's mumbling under her breath about why Mary won't come in there? Not that my sister and I have ever had any moments like that. Um, she happens to be here today, so don't ask her about those stories. But I think that in that moment, Martha is allowing her emotions and her busyness to consume her. She's letting them build to the point that she can't handle anymore. And she goes to Jesus, accusing him of not caring. Anybody ever had that conversation, maybe internally, with Jesus? saying, gosh, don't, don't you care about what I'm walking through? Don't you care that I'm worried about money for next month's bills? Don't you care that I'm sick and I'm in pain? Don't you care that my kids are struggling? Don't you care? I think we're all, as humans, we do that from time to time. And I love that, that she says that. She's so honest and human in that moment, and I definitely identify with that. Do you not care? 
do not care. She's wanting Jesus to agree with her also about, hey, could you get Mary to come in here and bless, and bless my busyness? Right? It's her plans of busyness. And could you bless that? And so we all know Jesus' response. We've already talked about it, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek at times, but it says, the Lord answered her in verse 41, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha. She's the only woman in the Bible to have her name said twice. Now, normally when that happens, it's not a good thing, right? Normally you think that you're in trouble. But I can't help but wonder when I read the scriptures this time about what was Jesus' actual tone. A couple of the resources that I was looking at actually said, Jesus rebukes Martha. And I'm thinking, gosh, that feels a little harsh, that word, using the word rebukes and, and what kind of um, harsh tone would he have used. I don't think that sounds like him because of the relationship that he had with her and that she had with him. So what instead if his tone was one of compassion and also longing? Compassion in the very fact that he cares for her and he loves her, but also longing when he says Martha to, to say that he knows what she's missing in the moment. He wants her to get it, right? He wants her to know that she's missing that, and it's all in the name of serving. It's all in the name of busyness. And I love when he says, you are anxious and troubled. He's letting her know, he's letting us know, that when he says you are, he sees us, and he knows us. And then he's naming what it is that she is. She's anxious and troubled. And by doing this, it's letting, it's letting her know that he sees her and all she's doing, how she's feeling, and that he knows her. He never asks her a question, hey, what's up? What's wrong? Right? He's saying you are. And then he continues on in verse 42. And it says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion or the better thing, which will not be taken away from her. It's the one thing that's necessary. Some manuscripts say the one thing that is needed, and I love that. Now, my brother-in-law, David, recently recommended a book to me called Crazy Busy, and it's by Kevin DeYoung. And I had to laugh the other morning. I was having a cup of coffee sitting on the couch, and I was reading through it, and I got done, looked at the clock, busy, had to get ready to get over to, uh, here, actually, for work. And I laid the book down on my coffee table on, another, on top of another, another book that I had just bought this summer. And I picked it up, and I had to start laughing because the book underneath Crazy Busy is 1,001 Ways to Slow Down. <laughs> that speaks volumes, right? And I kid you not, I, could, I have pictures to prove it. So, but in his book, Crazy Busy, Kevin writes, when we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. The challenge is not merely to make a few bad habits go away. The challenge is not to let our spiritual lives slip away. It's choosing the better thing. So how do we do that? One scripture for a Martha that I think is a great accountability scripture is 1 Peter 4.9. And in it it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, 
faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I love the line, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, not in his or her own strength. In order for a Martha to know when and how to serve, we have to stop. We have to slow down in order to be able to listen and be directed by him. The accountability question in that for me is, am I serving in my own strength? Am I doing this because I'm in need of value or love or recognition? Am I called to serve in this situation because it's Jesus? He's the one that's calling me to serve. We know that we have to find the balance in all of this because we need to be able to take care of ourselves. We cannot serve others in Jesus' name in a state of depletion because the scripture very plainly tells us it's about him and it is for him. Now, I strongly identify with the Martha. I didn't want to. I kind of refused to for a little while. I wanted to be in the Enneagram, if you know all the numbers. I wanted to be a seven, then I went to a four, and then I landed on a two. Um, and even going through the series going up here, there have been times that I've identified with Peter and Paul and Jacob and Rebecca. And so every time Susie or Jonathan or Thomas would talk about one, I would be in the back going, oh, maybe that's me. Oh, that's, I identify with that, right? And what I'm learning is that there's a little bit of all of us in us, right? But there's, some, there's one that's kind of prominent. And for me, it's a two. Time has proven it. Even my coffee table showed me that the other day. And I'm learning how to own that in a healthy way. So two of the hardest things for Martha is to learn how to slow down and to be still and to answer the question, what do I need? Because it's, sometimes it's just easier to say, I'm good, I don't need anything, while on the inside, we're out of control. We often use busyness and serve it to mask our own feelings and not even take the time to discover who we really are. Now, an example of this for me as a, as a Martha was at the beginning of this year, I, was, um, I had a dear pastor friend who said to me, Cindy, you need to choose life. And I was like... He said probably in a 20-minute phone call, he said it probably 15 times. You have to choose life. You have to choose life. And the reason he was saying that to me was I was, um, I'd been, my husband had been gone for about a year, um, and I didn't want to face another year. I was dealing with a lot of darkness of death and grief. And in this 20-minute conversation, Cleveland just kept saying that over and over to me. And so after we got off the phone, I just said, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what this feels like, but you're going to have to show me. And I ended up coming the next Sunday. Thomas was talking about community, and we were in that series on the seven truths. And God began to use those weeks to show me that it was really time for me to make a move back to the springs to be closer to friends. The isolation of the prairie where Chuck and I had lived was no longer really a place of safety for me. It was actually, actually working against me. And so I began to prepare for a move. Now remember, we Marthas um, can often struggle with a sin called pride. 
because we think we can do it all ourselves and that we don't need any help, right? But we had a large house with a music and an art studio and a garage, and as much as I love my husband, there were a lot of tools, just saying. We had seven to 10 hammers. Why you need that many hammers? I don't know, but we had them. Um, actually, he did tell me if you put one in every room of the house, then you never have to go looking for one. That was his reasoning on it. So I thought, sure, I'm like, I can do this. I'll make the checklist. Um, I can, I'll take care of all this, and I'll get through it, and I'll pack it all up and sell what I need to sell and, and get rid of the other stuff. Um, then I had to admit it was just more than I could handle. It was emotional. Um, it was stretching me mentally, and it was way too much physically. And a dear friend of ours um, who lived, they live about two and a half hours away, she volunteered her husband to come and um, help me which I thought was just really awesome. So I finally caved, and Charlie came like a couple weeks later um, after driving two and a half hours, and he arrived early on a Thursday morning. And I remember um, we went over a couple of things, and then Charlie went out to the garage, and I got in the vehicle to come down here for the day. And somewhere along the way of this 50-minute drive, I realized um, my Martha needed to become a hostess, and I had no food in the, in the house whatsoever. Um, and I thought that maybe I might need to pick something up. Now, in that moment, I have to be really honest with you, it was stressing me out just to think about getting food because I was in the middle of cardboard boxes and all of this other stuff in the, in the form of packing. Um, so needless to say, I stopped, after I worked the day, I stopped on the way home, went to the grocery store, got a few things, and then on the way home, I was thinking, well, I'll just fix in the plate. I'll just, I'll make up the fast little meal, I'll fix my plate, and I'll just keep with my checklist because I'm a Martha, um, and he can just eat by himself. Then I got convicted that, that would be a little rude, so I sit, fixed our plates and we sat down at the one piece of furniture left, a table. And we talked about the actual move and what, what all was needed for the next day, um, and we, our conversation quickly turned to Charlie, started sharing some stuff about his story at the age of 12, he had decided that he was going to have um, his career choice be one of a professional criminal. I'm not sure how one makes that decision at 12, but he did. Um, and he actually had managed to accomplish that, resulting in several years in prison. He actually walked out a free man last July. But in the prison, he had made a decision somewhere along the way to follow Jesus and is still learning, like the rest of us, what that really means. Um, and so we sat there and talked about that. What does it feel like to have God forgive us from our sins? How do we forgive our sins? How do we move on in life? And so for two hours, we sat and laughed and talked and cried. And he honored Chuck's memory and served me in ways um, that I could have never accomplished on my own. And about a week later, I received a text from Charlie to my written thank you saying, you are welcome for the help I was able to give. Thank you for the things that you gave me. These are things in there I treasure. Our talks were the best of all. I'll be listening to them in my mind and processing and growing from them for days and years to come. And I have to tell you at that point when he said, um, I'll be listening to them in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, did he record? Did he record those conversations? <laughs> then I realized he had just put them all in his, in, his, in his mind and we were good. Not that anything was really bad, but... Um, so here we were, two people from very different backgrounds, right? A Martha and a professional criminal, both saved by grace. 
finding ourselves in each other's stories. We learned from each other. Slowing down, eating a meal together because of choosing the better thing, choosing the one thing. Now let me say, that is one example of me getting it right. For every one, there are 682,492 other moments that I miss about choosing the better thing. It's still a lesson that I'm having to learn. In fact, sometimes I think it takes more energy to actually to slow down and to stop than it is just to stay in the busyness, just to keep going. Just this week, I was in the midst of an art camp for 17 kids. Did I say 17 kids? Um, who had a lot of energy. Um, I had family coming in from out of town while I'm still unpacking in the midst of some boxes, and I also wanted to focus on this morning. Do you think I did everything right this last week? Absolutely not. I have to constantly, constantly ask Jesus to forgive me when I miss it and when I miss him. So I've got two questions I want to ask you this morning. What does, it, what does it look like having a Martha at the table? It's not always easy, right? For those of you who might be married to a Martha, you might have a family member that's a Martha, you might have a close friend that's a Martha. It can be frustrating at times, I'm sure, because especially when you're trying to have a conversation and all you see is their backside um, because they're, trying to, they're running in and out of the kitchen and, and trying to get everything ready. So patience is required with us as we are in constant tension between the busyness and choosing the better thing. So how do you help a Martha? You remind us gently, that's a key word there, gently, to choose the one thing when we're wrapped up in the busyness of life. Help us see that whatever is happening in front of us is a moment. Give us space to be able to answer that question. What do I really feel? What do I really need? Help us to grace ourselves, to actually give ourselves permission to even ask the question, what is it that I need? And remind us somewhere along the way to take a deep breath. Now, when I overlay the story of Martha and Mary in my life these days, I can't help but think of the last few years, how I've been reminded of the fleeting nature of time, of the precious gift of each day. You know, each one of us gets 1,440 minutes per day, minutes that we fill with job obligations, errands, household chores, shuttling kids to various activities, and more, and these are all worthwhile. But if we're not careful, life can just become one long checklist. And we will miss the key moments in life. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned is that each day holds a Martha minute and it holds Mary moments. And we do well to try to steward both. Minutes are those second hand ticking on the clock on the wall, the mindless oozing of minutes into hours, hours into days, days into months and years and decades, a whole life that just passes us by. 
but the moments, they're time standing still. They're invitations to stop and to be fully present, to engage in laughter over something silly, to listen to someone's struggles, to watch a sunset, to hug or maybe kiss a little longer, to hold the hand of a friend. It's in those moments that you can see, you can hear and you can breathe and you can just be. I don't know this, but you can let actually, I don't know if you know this, but, I, but you can let dishes go unwashed to spend time with your kids. You can let laundry go unfolded to snuggle in front of a movie with your spouse. You can let the dust settle on the furniture when someone unexpected arrives. You can even put your cell phone down and actually talk to someone face to face. <laughs> Remember the book I mentioned, The 1001 Ways to Slow Down? Well, number one in that book, it says to unplug. Moments beckon us to stop doing and to choose the one thing, the better thing. No one, no matter who we identify with at this table, all of us in this room need to hear this. I felt so strongly that Jesus wanted me to say this to all of us this morning. You are. You are anxious and distracted. You're overwhelmed. And many of you are troubled about many, many things. But there is one thing that is necessary, one thing that is needed, and that's Jesus. In Kevin's book, The Crazy Busy, that I mentioned, he asked the question I want, that I want us to close out thinking about today. And it says, if someone recorded your life for a week and then showed it to a group of strangers, what would they guess is the better thing, the one thing in your life? That question startled me even this week. What would you see if you had followed me around? What would I have seen in your life if I had followed you? So as we get ready to close, we're going to give you a little bit of space, a little bit of a moment where you can sit and you can engage in these lyrics that Kitty's about to sing over us. We've got the prayer and the candle walls. If you need to go and maybe say something, write something to Jesus or light a candle just to mark this moment of maybe today I'm gonna choose the one thing. Maybe today I'm gonna choose the better thing. This space is just gonna be yours for these next few minutes. It's not gonna go on real long. You engage with God as you need to. Let him speak to your heart. Let him say, you are. And listen to what he says in that. You can stand, you can sit, but I challenge all of us to engage in this moment.